1: Hello everyone and welcome to Forgotten True Crime by Oki Investigations. The true crime podcast where we tell the stories of crimes that happened long ago. If you're a true crime fan, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Also, check us out on Facebook. You can find us at Oki Investigations and visit our blog TrueCrime.blog where we post a lot of the cool things that we found for each episode. This episode, The Murder of Lottie Yates, has a lot of exciting stuff for you to dig into. Uh, We have the original news reports that you can read through, and some really cool history about this case that was passed down through the years. Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. For those of you who are longtime listeners to the show, you will not be surprised how I unusually came upon this case while doing some research. It caught my attention and I thought it was a pretty compelling story to tell. When I first read the case, I didn't think there was like a whole lot... In this, and I was going to end up passing on it, but it wasn't until I noticed that the Library of Congress had a folk song about this case that I decided to do a little bit more digging. What I found was a sad story of violence, jealousy, and a miscarriage of justice. This story takes place in the year 1891 in a little town called Greenup, Kentucky, To give you a town visual, it was built against the Ohio River. Charlotte Lottie Yates was 17 years old when she decided to leave her husband, who soon after they married became violent towards her. He began to drink, and that only made things worse. She had a baby, and had more than just herself to think about, and not wanting to raise a child in such a home... She got help from her family to force him to leave their home, and then she divorced him. Lottie's husband was Austin Porter. He was known as a jealous and possessive man. He was enraged that he had been removed from his own home and that Lottie would not take him back. He spent the better part of a year trying to get them back, but she refused. Lottie had been working on a plan on getting out and away from Austin once and for good. She was going to go and stay with her father, but she had to get everything in order before she were to make the move. Lottie's little sister came to visit and help her with the move and also help with the new baby. On May 26, 1892, almost one year after Lottie left Austin, Austin returned to his former home at 3 a.m. in the morning. He went to each door of the house trying to gain entry, but found that each door was locked. He then decided to stack some large rocks outside the bedroom window so he could look in and see if it was unlocked. Looking through the window, Austin could see Lottie, her sister, and the baby sleeping in the bed. When he tried to open the window, he found that it was unlocked. Now, Austin didn't return home to try and convince his wife to let him come back. He intended on ending things once and for all. He brought a large knife with him. He crept into the bedroom. He drew the knife out and swiftly stabbed Lottie. Lottie's screams woke up her sister and the baby, who immediately began crying. Austin was startled by the commotion. It was suspected that he had been drinking and he was probably drunk. He then fled the home almost as quickly as he had come. He dropped the knife at the front of the house as he ran. Lottie's stab wound was profound because it had severed an artery. Within a minute, she was dead. Lottie's sister ran for help and the authorities were notified, but before they could put together a search for Austin, An angry mob of local townspeople formed, and they too wanted to find him. You see, back in these times, there was another possibility of what was considered justice, and that was lynching. This was now going to be a race to see who could find Austin first, the police or the angry mob. Both parties believed that Austin had fled into the mountains, and that's where the search began. Austin knew this area well, and it would be hard to find him in his element. When interviewed just after the murder, members of the mob stated that they wanted to see Austin burn for his crimes. They planned on burning him alive. Austin was able to evade capture for just over a week. On the eighth day, he was found, and several locals were able to capture him, and they actually delivered him to authorities. Now, for Austin, this was a best-case scenario. If the wrong people were to have found him, he would have been lynched. Austin was returned to Greenup, where he was charged, and then he was placed in the county jail in Grayson, a town further south in Kentucky. When questioned about the crime, Austin flat out refused to confess that he killed his wife, and he was able to hire an attorney to represent him in the matter. Knowing that a trial would take place and things were already heated, the county attorney called in Lottie's family to have a talk with them. You see, when Austin was caught, a mob had started to form again from the nearby town of Willard. This is where the victim's family is from. When these mobs get out of control, it's impossible for little towns like Grayson to be able to stop them for doing what they want. So the county attorney made a deal with the victim's family. If Austin was kept in jail in Greenup and the trial was speedy, they would not attempt to lynch him. The family agreed and they addressed the rising mob and told them of the deal. Things were looking up for Austin in this regard because the crowd soon dispersed and many of them just went back home. Although this sounded like a great deal for everyone involved, it was going to run the risk that the trial would be unfair. You see, the jury would be formed of locals who all at this point would have developed some kind of opinion on the matter. So Austin and his attorney talked about secretly trying to get the trial moved to another county, one where cooler heads might be in the jury. These secret talks somehow got out. Either they were overheard or someone had said something to the wrong person. Either way, Their plans was known and was spreading across town. Like any rumor, it quickly fell to the ears of those it affected the most. The victim's family and the angry mob. The mob that soon formed was estimated to be around 150 people. They were armed with rifles and were out for vengeance. They wanted to do this quickly before anyone had the chance to move Austin to a safer place where he would be out of reach. The mob first went to the train station at midnight. They forced the engineer of the Eastern Kentucky Railroad to take them out of town to Grayson. The angry mob filled the train and they told the conductor that if he blew the loud steam whistle that he would be killed immediately. When they were just a half mile out of town, they stopped the train. This was just before 2 a.m. The mob walked into town, and any locals who came out to see what was going on was told to go back to bed, that this didn't concern them. They marched to the last house on a row of houses. They surrounded it, and then someone went up and knocked on the front door. A woman answered, and she looked pretty confused at what was all going on. The man representing the crowd asked to talk to her husband, and she said that he was upstairs. Three men then entered the home, and they brought out the husband, who was known as the jailer for the county jail. The crowd demanded the keys to the jail. The jailer told them that he did not have them, he did not take them home but no one believed him. They threatened the jailer with his life, and at the request of his wife, who was frightened and sure that the mob would kill her husband, he finally told them where the keys were in his home. The men entered and then left with the keys in hand. The mob stayed at the jailer's house. They did not want him going to authorities and possibly stopping them from getting to Austin, so they sent three men to the jail with the keys. Before they all left, the jailer had one request, and that was they not let out any other prisoners. When the three men arrived at the jail, Austin knew that this would not end well for him. As they pulled him from his cell, he muttered to himself, I am gone. They then returned to the jailer's house. Austin asked the jailer if he could pass on this one request, that he be buried next to his wife, or, if this was not allowed, that he be buried next to his sister, who had already passed. The mob bound Austin's hands with a very thin rope. This was thinner than clothesline, which is already a pretty thin rope. They also used it to make a noose, and they placed it over Austin's head. At this point, Austin was scared and started praying. They walked him a half mile out of town onto a railroad bridge. They told Austin that this is where he was going to die if he did not confess to killing his wife. If he did confess, they would take him back to Willard, near the scene of the crime, and they would do the deed there instead. Austin was sobbing at this point, and he told the crowd what had happened. I did it, but I did not know what I was doing, he cried. True to their word, the crowd then took Austin to the town of Willard, to a bridge over a creek. They fastened the rope around Austin's neck and the other end to the railroad ties. They pushed Austin off the side of the bridge. When the rope came taut, it actually broke, and Austin fell into the creek. They pulled him out of the stream, and Austin was actually still alive, and so they tried again. This time the rope held, and Austin hung until he was dead. His body was left on display. As the news traveled about the lynching, people from all around, young and old, came to see the site. Later on that day, the coroner arrived, and they cut him down. The court case was ended, the jury issued a verdict in the case, and this was read out. We, the jury, find, according to the evidence produced, in the case of Austin Porter, that he came to his death by strangulation of a rope placed thereon for that purpose by whom we do not know. This made national news, but little happened afterwards. Lynchings occurred in these areas, and it would not be until more reformed practices were put into place that they would stop. Either way, I believe that Austin Porter was denied a fair trial. I do not think that he was innocent at all, but it's not up to an angry mob to decide what should or should not happen in these matters. This is not a political statement, it's just the truth. We built these laws around making sure the accused has a fair trial and has the opportunity to appeal those decisions against them. So one of the interesting things about this case was that there was a singer named Elijah Adams that he was a folk poet, and he was active in the 1890s and the early 1900s. And there's only two songs that he wrote that are still surviving ballads. So while I was doing the research for this case this is basically what drew me into it because I found the song that he had wrote that was all about this murder. It was presented to the Library of Congress because they wanted to recognize Elijah for his hard work. And this is what they wrote about the song. The Murder of Lottie Yates is one of two surviving ballads composed by Elijah Adams, a folk poet and singer of the late 1890s and 1900s of the background and training of this verse maker and folk historian little is known but he was a real person and he was very much alive and active near the turn of the century according to the testimony not only of miss kaiser but also of my 84-year-old father and relatives of my mother's side of the family the manner in which adams tells his story and his style and phraseology reveals some faculty for verse-making and understanding of forms employed in older English and early American ballads. This song, like his better-known Ashland Tragedy, was probably issued originally as a broadside, but so far, as is known, no copy of it survives today. I'll read for you guys the lyrics to the song The Murder of Lottie Yates. Come listen, friends, while I relate of a crime committed in Kentucky State. It was the murder of poor Lottie Yates. I hope she passed through heaven's gates. It was on one night in the month of May, while she in bed with her baby lay. The dirt was hurled with a wicked dart that caused poor Lottie and her baby to part. He raised the window with full intent To talk to her he was deeply bent And as he talked his heart grew cold Oh such a crime it would damn one's soul He has killed me now she faintly cried Her father soon was by her side Do all he could it was all in vain He could not call her back again Her lifeblood rushed from the fountain's head while she lay gasping on her bed. Her mother shrieked with a grief so wild, and her father sank by his dying child. With throbbing heart, he dashed away. The broken knife at the gateway lay. It done its work when Lottie Fell. Of such a crime, it's hard to tell. He'd done the crime and fled away. God's vengeance followed him day to day. He was taken at last and placed in jail. No mercy lent gave him bail. I did the crime he did confess. The cause of it was jealousness. May God forgive me, this I pray, and save us both at judgment day. The night before the trial came, A crowd did take the Willard train and make a rush for the prison cell. Who were those men? I cannot tell. They marched through town with a steady pace to the jailer's house. They went in haste. They made him give those iron keys that unlocked the prisoner's cell with ease. The key was turned. The hinges creaked. The prisoner screamed a loudly shriek. He knew his time was short to be. From iron bars he would be set free. They placed him on the funeral coach. With speedy time they did approach. To pay his sentence on the bridge. That faced a sad and lonely ridge. They placed the culprit on the verge. No funeral song or lonesome dirge. With none to sing but the nightingale. To mourn his lost, or sad be well. The time had come, he must take the leap. While frantic shadows o'er him creep. He is gone, he's swung beneath the sky. For cruel murder he has to die. This ends these lines, of which we read. Of a crime so black with its bloody deed. May all mankind who marry a wife. Live true and faithful all their life. And so there it is, my awkward reading of a song. I hope you guys enjoyed this show. If you did enjoy this show, make sure you subscribe. It helps us in so many ways. It will actually put us more favorably with each provider. So when somebody searches for true crime, we will be a major option. I will see you all next time when we dig up another forgotten true crime Across America. See ya.
0: Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16 ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card.